0: Last weekend, I attended a conference that hosted over 200 young leaders from around North America and the Caribbean. As I had conversation after conversation with young leaders who wore titles such as entrepreneur, CEO, and director, I wondered how did these individuals get to where they are today? What tools did they need in order to be successful? And more importantly, what are they doing to empower and develop the next generation of leaders? Today, we'll hear from a next-gen leader who has faced adversity head-on, dedicated his life's work to empower youth, and is starting his next chapter at one of the most prestigious universities in the world. Welcome to The Behaviors with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Jamie Arroyo. Our intention for the Behaviorist Podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. We're grateful to have Leo Silva, Associate Director of Atalo, a college access organization whose mission is to support success-oriented youth from primarily underrepresented communities in their pursuit of academic achievement, empowerment, and social engagement. What's up, Leo? Thank you for joining us today. What's up, Jamie? How's it going, boss? Uh, living the dream, man. Living the dream.
1: Oh well, uh, that that was quite the intro, and I feel <laughs> um very flattered. I have in, imposter syndrome right now because um one that was just very welcoming. Um, but I, I think personally, you have changed my life multiple times. Um, I don't like to admit this, but like like most you know gen wise, I um I tend to go to social media probably a little bit too much, especially when when I'm bored. Um. But luckily, I have some like friends like you who make it their life's goal to be inspiring. Um, So whenever I'm really bored, I just kind of look at your your story. Um, so thank you guys for having me, but I definitely feel some kind of imposter syndrome right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky for you, we actually have an episode on that. So anyone that's uh, interested in learning more about imposter syndrome can look back at the feed and uh, uh, hear one of the work wisdom uh, episodes on that. Um, but thank you, man, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm definitely excited to learn um, or you know hear your story again, and for you to share it with our audience. Um, you've had a unique journey, just kind of growing up uh, in the Dominican Republic, and you know arriving to where you're at today. Can you share with the audience a little bit about that journey and uh, you know, some of the things that you learned from it? Oh, absolutely. Um I think the story I like to share was now I was seven
1: years old and I was standing in my room on a cold, wet, muddy floor. Bets were floating down the streets, my neighbor's roof was ripping apart. It was nineteen ninety eight and Hurricane George was destroying the Dominican Republic. And I always like to start my story by having people visualize what I, one of my first memories and what I saw, um, because what happened afterwards was really special, um, and what happened was that people came out and helped each other rebuild, and I think that was the first time I felt a real sense of community, and now wh- wherever I go, um, whether I was Lancaster a few years later, whether it was Millersville after going to after going to high school, um, I grew up in the city and then working out at Talo and now at Harvard, those are some of the things that I look for. Um I, I really look for environments that are that are welcoming and um are helping each other not only rebuild the community but rebuild each other. So that was kind of my my short little you know background. Um my village was really small. Um I remember, you know, growing up without shoes um, in the Dominican Republic and I think you know I think it humbles me when I look back on my past um, and it keeps me keeps me grounded um, and it helps me just be gracious what I currently have you know something that I keep hearing all the time is that you should count your blessings so um, for me the easiest way to count my blessings is just um, to sit down and reflect so thank you so much for asking me kind of to, to share that come kind of like to this put me in the mood of um, just being gracious
0: for what I have. So, Definitely, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. So you grew up in the Dominican Republic. You come to the United States uh, with your family to start a new life. Um, and fast forward, you end up at Atalo. Can you tell me a little bit about your role at Atalo and what uh, the mission was there and what you were trying to do specifically?
1: Yeah. Um, so, oh man, I'll probably have to just to rewind just a little bit. Sure. Um, I, I bet I, you know, I grew up in the city. Um, I had a a daughter in 11th grade, which was a big turning point for me, Um, just because, you know, I was kind of getting myself into some trouble. But the moment I saw my daughter and I saw somebody looking back at me, my life changed forever. Um, I no longer was just worried about myself. I had to be accountable um, for my actions because other people were looking at me to, to be inspiring, to be their motivation. Um, so I, I got really serious um, after that. Um, and luckily, you know, yes, I was young, but my family was very supportive. Um, so I, I went to Millersville, and Millersville was tough. Um, I was working 35 hours a week. Um, I was working at R.R. Donnelly and at Willow Valley. Um, I was doing school full time and kind of made it my, light, my mission at the time to really finish in four years. Um, and just like at every other pivotal moment in my life, there was always been someone or a group of people who have who kind of helped me when times got rough. So junior year uh, of college, I was Dr. Madden, my, uh, my advisor that, you know, I went to her and I told her, listen, I don't think I can do it anymore. I was just overwhelmed. Uh, and then kind of that led to me really pushing through that last year um and during that last year I actually met um Jordan Steffi who is the executive director um at Atalo. I mean that's kind of where the Atalo journey started. He doesn't like me sharing this but we actually met at the gym. Uh so do you we're, want we're to share <laughs> do you want to share uh, specifically we both... where? <laughs> no, not really. Um <laughs> But we, we were in the sauna. Uh, so hopefully he gets to listen to this and be embarrassed by it. Um, but yeah, we were in the sauna and we just kind of clicked. And I saw somebody um, like me who was a leader um, and somebody who I, I wanted to emulate and, and be like. Um, so I kind of jumped on board. And I remember the first event that I was invited to. Um, it was kind of a summer event. I, I believe you you might have been there. Um, it was kind of the kick of, of a um uh, with James Franklin. It was called Party in the Park. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, yeah, you should come out to this. And I said, yes. And then a, a week later, um, he said, hey, we're having a graduation party for four students. And I'm like, sure, why not? I'll go to it. And then a week after that, he goes, hey, do you want to go on college tours? Uh, we're going to expose our students to kind of what's out there. You know, something that we really believe is that you can't be what you can't see. And I was like, yes, of course. Um, why not? And then kind of that led to something else and something else. And um, all of a sudden, I found myself on board and, and all in. Um, but what I really liked about Italo, um, and what I was really fortunate um, to have experiences, is, is that it was really small. Um, it was really, really high touch. Um, I talked about earlier, um, you know, holding each other accountable and, and that's what we did. Um, we held not only the students accountable to their dreams, but we held each other accountable to our dreams. Um, and yeah, I had the blessing to kind of see it grow um, throughout the last five years. Um, so we went from those four students who, who graduated, who I didn't know at the time when I went to that graduation party, um, to now we're serving over 300 students every single year. Um, but one of those students really stuck out to me and her name was Jade Grove, um, because I didn't know her at all, um, but I saw her at this graduation party. And you know, five years later, as I, as I transitioned out, she actually came on board. Uh, and that was really, really cool to just see full circle, um, somebody who I first saw when, when I started graduating from the program, going off to college, um, and then coming back to serve her community. Um, so if, if anything, that's exactly what I want to do. I feel an obligation to kind of come back to Lancaster and serve.
0: That's awesome. So one of the things I admire you about Leo is that you're not only a strong leader, but you're also a strong supporter of others. I've seen you go above and beyond to help others in times of need. And when times get tough, you show up. So tell me about the importance of supporting others as a leader and how that creates a lot of value to others. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. I mean, I think every day I had the opportunity to um, be a motivation to, uh, to, a, to another student, um, to a different person. And I think my approach has been to be the example. So a lot of times we, you know, the, the common thing that we hear people say is work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and you'll be all right. Practice. There's, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And the truth is, if somebody's telling you just to work hard, not giving you a strategy uh, and not telling you what to work in, there, there's something wrong there. So um, I made it my goal to, one, if I was going to suggest someone um, to read more or I was going to suggest someone to practice whatever the case, whatever it was that they that they needed to practice, whether it was an instrument, whether it was getting better at the SAT, um, whether it was you know studying for um, an English test, I was going to be doing the same. I was going to be learning. Um, so my approach to, to mentoring is be coachable myself. Um, one, listen like crazy. God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason so I could listen twice as much as I talk. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've done. I've, um, I, you know, I, I love podcasts. Um, so I'm really big into podcasting. Um, and I'm, I'm really big into listening to other strategies for mentoring as well. And really big in, um, into listening to how other people master their craft, um, so that I can take those approaches, um, and can teach other people how to approach whatever it is that they need to master. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the audios that I go back to all the time is, um, the, it's by Tim Ferriss and the name is kind of, oops, like in my mind right now. Um, all, it's, it's called Learning How to Learn. Mm. Um, and Tim Ferriss goes through how he learned multiple languages. You know, he knows more than eight eight languages and kind of breaks it down. But the acronym he uses and, and the acronym I used um, in order to teach people how to do the SAT was the same. And he, he went through this acronym called D-S-S-S, um, which stands for Deconstruction. Note all of the blocks. Note all of the things that you need to know about a certain subject. Put it on the table. And then once you have all the Lego blocks, all the units, select. Select the 20% that make up 80% um, of that specific thing. So for for the SAT, really, it was just about a few subjects. For running, it's really about maybe just your breathing and and how you're putting your feet down. Um, So select. And then the second S is sequence. Put it in a way that is gonna be, one, easy to learn, um, and it's gonna build on itself. Sequence matters. Um, and then the last thing was stakes. Um, put some stakes in. If you fail, what would happen? And it kind of goes hand in hand with what's your why? You need to have a strong why um, in order for you, for you to keep pushing once things get tough. So that, that's kind of my approach to mentoring. Um, and the opportunity that I've had, um, to be able to amplify, um, I mean, to be able to kind of apply what I've learned to, to mentoring the youth that, that I've had the opportunity to be with.
0: That's great. So at Italo, one of your core pillars, uh, there is resilience Uh, Next-gen leaders get a lot of slack for not being resilient enough, Um, but I disagree. I think a lot of us came up in ways that forced us to develop resilience, and a lot of us carry that into our work. Um, i like to think that it was resilience and grit that actually got me to where I'm at at this point, Um, and I think I see a lot of those similar characteristics in you. Um, Can you share with us some ways that resilience has played a role in your leadership? Yeah,
1: Uh, I, I think in two ways.
0: One, I think,
1: naturally, first of all, resilience to me um, is kind of a Tyler's definition. I've kind of adopted it for myself as well. Um, and we say it means just bouncing back from setbacks. Um, and, in, and in life, I think you're, you're going to have multiple types of setbacks. Um, so, so the two ways that resilience kind of played a part is um, I've been able to, because of the adversity that I've faced, um i've been able to speak genuinely and authentically about my experiences um which really inspires other people um and then secondly i i think because because i you know i've grown to understand the importance of resilience i've i've now put myself in situations that make it really challenging so that when Challenges just happen. I have something to go back to. Um, for example, I think you know, transitions are are a challenge, and and I knew that transitioning from you know working for the past five years at a to Harvard uh, was going to be a, a big challenge and something that we do you know once in a while is it's five before five, which is just five miles before five a.m. And before I transition. And, and I think you ran one of these with us, which was amazing. Uh, but before I transitioned, we, I did five in a row. I woke up every day at 4 a.m., the five days leading to my transition, and I did five miles. Um, and, and what that did was that it prepared me. It prepared me for anything that could happen. Um, and the reason why I did that is because I knew the transition was going to be challenging. But if I could compare it to something that I've already done and I've already been successful at, I knew it would make it easier. Um, So those are kind of the two ways, you know, being resiliency and adversity has really played a part um, in in my approach and one, how I mentor um, other people and just kind of how I go about life.
0: Love it, man. Yeah, we, uh, actually ran a five before five, probably three or four weeks ago. Um, and for the audience, uh, the five before five, we probably start a little bit after 4am, uh, with the intention of finishing right before 5am. Um, and we did it in a group of others. And, you know, it's one of those things that helps not only develop resilience, but it's a reminder of being a high performer. Um, so from a high-performance standpoint, a lot of young leaders want to be high performers. Um, outside of running before 5 a.m. or running five miles before 5 a.m., what are some other tools uh, that you pull out uh, to make sure that you're constantly challenging yourself to be a high performer? Um, and that you would recommend to others um, to use uh, to increase their performance? Um, kind of on the
1: on the other side of that I would suggest practicing kindness and empathy. Um, I think the the beautiful things about the people that I've been able to associate with, and um, the beautiful thing about how is is that we can have real conversations um, all the time. And and by real, I mean conversations about race, empathy, and leadership. It's an acronym: Real. Um, so. I think not shying away from those conversations, I think is very important. Um, and and I and I actually think that, you know, when it comes to empathy and leadership, work wisdom does a really, really good job at that. So I had the opportunity to sit in um Kendrian Crosby's um, she did a strategic planning for for Columbia High School when uh, a few of us at Atalo got to sit in and we were just in awe. Um, here we were, we consider ourselves um, to know a little bit about about leadership and empathy just because of the work we do. Um, but, it was, but it was really cool just to see her kind of navigate the room, um, one, not shy away from those tougher conversations that um, that district specifically needed to have. Um, and I actually think they're doing a great job, but I think, yeah, I, I think kindness and empathy go a very long way. Um, and there's certain ways to practice it um, and not shy away from it. And I think even um, setting out time to actually just have conversations like those with friends, um, it's important. Um, so something that, that we have done um, is called um, Give Me Five. Um, and Give Me Five is we put out five words that have to do um, with, with things that are just happening whether it is intersectionality, whether it is color blindness, whether it is race, um, sometimes words that trigger emotion and we would define them in our own words and then talk about our experiences as it pertains to those words. Um, so just doing little things like that, that one, just have us appreciate other people, um, empathize with other people and just grow a little bit, um, just gain some cultural competency, um, I think it's very important.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think when, you know, kindness, empathy, and I'll actually add a third one that kind of goes with your authentic leadership and listening more is curiosity. Um, so I'm actually reading the Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz now, and he quotes a former Secretary of State, Colin Powell, um, who says that leadership is the ability to get someone to follow you, even if only out of curiosity. And when I think of folks our age that are starting to develop as leaders and even starting to be in positions of leadership, it takes even more curiosity to make sure that you're listening, not only to uh, folks that are coming, uh, that are in front of you, but also that are coming behind you. So um, I think kindness and empathy kind of support that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Uh, So you know, as a next gen leader, uh, what do you think that are uh, that some organizations should start doing to develop their own next gen leaders? Where are some things that organizations should be thinking about um, to make sure that internally they're creating a support system and that environment that you mentioned to make sure that their leaders are being supported and can uh, grow? Yeah, I think not shying away from hiring
1: them. Um, I think I think that that's number one. I think uh, most of the time and and what we keep hearing is that it's it's hard it's hard to you know hire someone who's young um because maybe they don't have the experience you don't know what it's going to be like so and and sometimes it's it's difficult to put them in a position of leadership not knowing um exactly how they're going to how they're going to react or how they're going to perform um and i think um that they will actually do better and take things more seriously than sometimes, you know, they put the facade up, um I think is very important. Um, just because with to, today's generation just moves so fast, and we they, we don't believe them to have um, very much, a lot of focus. Um, I think trusting that they actually do and they're actually capable, um, and putting them in positions. Um, that they're able to fail. Uh, I, I think that's kind of that's kind of one way to do so.
0: And on the flip side of that, uh, you work with a lot of young leaders that probably talk to you a lot about what their dreams are from a career standpoint, what they want to see their life look like in a few years. What are we looking for from our employers to develop as leaders and become better uh, at what we do? I think I think we're looking for,
1: what we are what we' are looking for is for potential. Um, what I like to do is judge somebody's based on their potential, um, not necessarily based on where they're at. Um, and I think it's because of my background. I don't think I don't I actually don't think I was very sharp uh, growing up, but someone always gave me the opportunity to prove myself. and although I wasn't sharp, I believed myself to be hardworking um, and because of that and because I had the opportunity, Um, To fail, I was able to grow um, in in certain leadership characteristics. Um, So I think one thing we should really, really focus on is professional development. Um, I think this generation wants it. They seek it. But they just don't know where it's at. And I think it's our duty um, to, one, be aware of kind of what's happening around around Lancaster um, so that when opportunities arise, we can plug them in. Um, so I think that's that's one way and that's kind of one thing that I've looked looked at, I look for potential, and then I look for um, professional development opportunities that they can take advantage of. Um, and these professional development opportunities don't even have to be um, structured. They don't have to be a part of another organization all the time, although those are great and there's a lot of good ones in Lancaster. Um, they can be little things that you do with them. Um, Whether it is an activity, whether it is running together, whether it is just spending time conversing, um, professional development can look very different. I think we have kind of this image or this box that we put professional development in, which is, oh, my gosh, you have to attend a class and class has to meet every other Friday and um, you have to get this, this, this and this from it. And I think it could look very different than that.
0: Definitely. Leo, thank you for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate having you here and sharing your story and your thoughts on next generation of, of leaders. Um, but before we wrap up, uh, can you tell us one piece of advice that you would give to your 18-year-old self?
1: Mm. Uh, I would start reading and listening. Um, now, I think there's, you know, during the last five days here at Harvard, I think I've read, I've read two books um, and I've listened to one. So that just and the amount of information I've been consuming, I think, really helps me. One, inspire other people, talk to other people. Um, whatever you put in is, is what you're going to come out. It's whatever you're going to kind of put out there. Um, so that that's that's the thing that I would that I would tell my 18 year old self is just to start listening, um, to start reading and soaking up more information. Um, I think I was worried
0: about other things at that time. Thanks, Leo. There you have it. Thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviorist, and we'll hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy work wisdom, press, and productions, ask questions, and suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. And as our custom, today we'll leave you with some one-minute wisdom from Anthony DeMello on authenticity. The master was never impressed by diplomas or degrees. He scrutinized the person, not the certificate. He was once heard to say, when you have ears to hear a bird in song, you don't need to look at its credentials. ¶¶